commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Ben All of America's Summer of Strangeness continues tonight with an episode that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, it's one I've wanted to do for quite some time. I actually reached out to our guest tonight, John Tenney, like a long, 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 long time ago, and we never, uh, our paths never crossed. And then uh, I got back on Twitter, and he's a prolific Twitterer, if that's the right word, and uh and we, our past started crossing all the time, as luck would have it. And then uh, we had the chance to meet up at Lauren Coleman's uh, Cryptozoology Conference up in Portland, Maine, last uh, April. And we hung out and had a blast. And uh, since then, once I kind of got the wheels back on with all of America, I knew I wanted to get him on the show. For the folks who are unfamiliar with John Tenney, I'm going to have him give you sort of the, uh, the informal bio background in a moment. But uh, he's a researcher, lecturer. He really is... Uh, kind of a jack-of-all-trades with, uh, with the paranormal. He, he is, uh, I'm really blown away by his depth of knowledge with all of these different fields. Uh, as anyone who listens to this show knows, I'm a fan of, like, all this different stuff. So to be able to talk to somebody who is really steeped in knowledge of all these different fields is, uh, I, I love folks like that. So uh, he's been involved with the paranormal, anomalistic, and spiratorial research for over two decades um, he's had a TV show, he's been in uh, movies, he's been interviewed on podcasts, obviously we're doing this tonight, he's been on all kinds of radio shows. Uh, part of the bio that really blows me away, he says it's estimated that over the past 30 years, more than 100,000 people have attended one of Mr. Tenney's signature weird lectures. Uh, and I was lucky to have, be in attendance at one of those uh, in Portland. And uh, I'll say this, this is the God's honest truth, folks. Uh, there's very, oh, I mean, I don't know if I'd say, maybe I'm not, maybe there's other people as jaded as I am, but I'm very jaded when I go to these conferences just because I've seen a lot of stuff over the years. Um, and this is my job, so it's like I really don't have much patience uh, to sit. But, but John's presentation was so entertaining and informative and thought-provoking, uh, I was really blown away. It was like, wow, this is you know, people can. You know, some people can still rock and roll, baby. This is awesome. You know, so I was I was really blown away. So uh, he's got a new book out, The Theoretical Weirdo. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his amazing career. Talk about the state of the paranormal and all that good stuff. John Tenney, finally, uh, welcome back to Banal America. Well, welcome to Banal America. You. you haven't been on before. Jesus. Yeah. No. Thank you for having me. This is your summer uh, lecture series, right? Yes. Yes. Summer of strangeness. 
Summer of Strangeness. Now, am I allowed to swear on this uh, radio podcast broadcast? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can swear all you want. Yeah, I'll be swearing. Or, uh, if I haven't already, I will soon, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for all the kind words. No, it was great to finally meet you, and uh, thank you for like saying all that nice stuff. It's I, I feel like a lot of the times my lectures – um, I know that they're fun and I know they're informative and stuff. I think that a lot of time in this field though, like so many people have PowerPoint presentations and a stock lecture that it's just, yeah. I think I was the only person at that weekend, right. That didn't stand at the podium. Like, yeah, I think you didn't, I didn't know if you had a microphone or anything. You were just, you were just like standing there talking. It was, it was <laughs> revelatory. It was awesome. But I think that 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 I mean that's good sometimes. Like when you have to download a bunch of information, it's obviously really great to get a scholar who can download all that information to you. But at a certain point, and you know this, and your listeners know this, like we're talking about really fucking weird shit, and you should be excited about it. Like it's it's interesting and it's fun, and I feel like sometimes justice isn't done to the strangeness by standing still behind a podium for an hour and a half showing slides that you've shown 800 times. Yeah, exactly. No, I know totally what you mean. I rarely do presentations, but uh, by like the second one I did, I was like, I'm taking all of the words out of, I'm just doing pictures. I'm just doing pictures <laughs> for this presentation and I'll read the words like from what I know and, and, and my notes and everything. Cause uh, yeah, as I was looking it over, I'm like, this is all too, this is all too much. This is too, this is too much. Now, I guess give folks a little bit of the bio, the background. I gave kind of a, I, I gave the, you know, the Amazon page uh, bio, but, uh, you know, uh, tell people a little bit about who John Tenney is. And uh, I, I keep, now, honestly, let me ask you this. This is a, the EL, I always call you John Tenney. You and I are a lot alike in a sense because we both, people seem to refer to us just by our last name. So it's like, oh, it's Benal or it's Tenney. So, so I've always just think of you as Tenny. Um, we're yeah, like the shares no, of the of the paranormal. But but what's the EL? Uh, what 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 is the EL? So it, it started off as uh, in the early '90s. Let me give you. I'll, I'll I'll find a way to wrap this up kind of really quickly. In the early yeah. '90s, when I started working in television, uh, there was there's an actor whose name is John Tenny. And there's uh, okay. all these like rules and guidelines and things about having actors that have the same names and having like people who are in documentaries that have the same names. And I don't think it works okay. that way anymore, but, but in the late eighties and early nineties, like they wanted to have something to, so that people knew who was who. And so I am one of those people that has two middle names. I'm named after my dad, John, my grandfather, Elmer and his father, Leonard. So I just started, I just threw the EL in there. Well, Thankfully, the universe is strange enough, too, that I also study words, and I love etymology of words. And so when I started to realize that L was a pretty significant strange word, it's, it's you know, the oldest name of God. Uh, and mm. the reason that it, you know, like you ha all the archangels are Mike L, Rafi L, Ariel, Oriel, uh, even Elohim, like anything that has to do with God there's an EL, uh, you, you know, even when the Superman was created, Ka-El and Jor-El, like it was all the Superman, it was the God-Man. And so then I kind of latched on to really loving that my middle initials were EL. Ah, gotcha. All right. Because I keep forgetting to say them. That's by, that's how it came up. Oh, I... <laughs> just call me Tenny I've... like everybody else does. <laughs> there you go. Well, who is Tenny? Give us the bio, the background. Give us sort of the thumbnail uh, beyond the Amazon page. 
Sure. So I'm born and raised in Michigan. I was, I'm not one of those people that was abducted at three or four years old. I didn't see a ghost at five or six. I was just a weird kid who liked to read weird books. And I grew up into the punk rock community in the eighties. And I hated people telling me what to say and how to think and what I could and couldn't think about. And I used to skip school and hang out at my local public library with this guy who ended up being Jack Kevorkian. And he was the first one who really kind of challenged the way that I thought about things and reality. And uh, then I, my first real true actual mentor was a political assassination scholar. He studied political assassinations of the 1960s and 70s. And he led me to other mentors and I thought, you know, at some time I would probably grow up and just be a teacher and talk about folklore and government conspiracies. And when I was almost out of my teens, I had kind of a freak heart attack and died. And when I recovered from that, uh, I wanted to use all of my skills to investigate strangeness and weirdness and what comes after. And so I went to college and started to become a major in folklore and religions. And then that was probably 91 or 92. I got a call asking if I wanted to be a researcher for Unsolved Mysteries. That was the first television show I worked on. And I dropped out of college, and I've just been this ever since. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, it's a pretty remarkable journey. It's, uh, a lot of stuff. I'm sure you get a lot of questions about Jack Kevorkian and that kind of thing. It's a very interesting winding road to what brought you here. Yeah, for sure. Jack was, uh, I don't think people realize that Jack was uh, as political a figure as he was. He was very into human rights. He was very into individual rights. Uh, obviously he thought, you know, if, if you needed to, if you were in a situation where there was no way out and you were just going to suffer for the rest of your life, you should have the option to take your own life. And that obviously that was very controversial. It still is. But that stemmed from his belief that, you know, there are certain things that you should and shouldn't be able to do. He was a big proponent of delegalizing marijuana and psychotropic drugs. And that stuff all gets lost in the he murdered people in his minivan or his. his uh, yeah, his the caricature of, of, of who he was. Yeah. Right. Um, now you get the new book out. I read the book this week. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. So we're going to I'm going to sort of. Uh, Pull some stuff out of the book as we go along. Hopefully that's all right. Uh, you know. Yeah, like absolutely. <laughs> um, well, this is this uh, this kind of res- it's right at the beginning of the book, but it really kind of resonated with me because I feel in a lot of ways the same way. I'm, I'm going to directly quote you. You say you, you uh, and I'm sort of pulling a little bit out of the sentence, so there may be a clause here or there, but the gist of it is: I take you say I take a hard stance against the community to which I am mostly ashamed to belong to. Which is the is I take it to be the the paranormal community. As soon as I read that, I was like highlight, highlight, highlight. Like yes, yes. There's there's a certain I I what I found refreshing about that is there's a certain self awareness of the ridiculousness of this. I think a lot of uh, this field, all these fields, kind of take themselves very seriously to the point where it's kind of, and 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 act so ridiculously at the same time that it's that it is. You know, we're on the fringe of the fringe here, This the paranormal. It's, uh, as I've said uh, before, it's like if you, you, if you become famous in this field, you're no more famous than like Hacksaw Jim Duggan or something like that. Yeah, famous, absolutely. Really. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I doubt you'd even be as famous as Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, but, I mean, it, it is one of those things in this community. Like, I, 
I will go. I'll, I'll find somebody who writes a or be friends with someone or see someone lecture that I think is like super insightful and like really great. And then like, uh, you know, I'll go and they'll say like they have a new book coming out. And so their book is covered in like drippy, bloody fonts. And then their book doesn't sound anything like the way they sound when I talk to them. And then I find out that, you know, someone that I've been talking to for three years is a completely terrible person who thinks that they know all of the answers to the universe. And if you don't believe in them and like, I really do sometimes get super frustrated with this community. And a lot of the times, uh, I mean, we're a very, you always hear people talking about like, well, we don't want drama in the paranormal community. Like you're going to have drama. Like you have drama with your, with your family and you see them and you grew up with them. Like, this is a very loose network of people who interact infrequently on the Internet. You're going to have drama. Like, that's just an, a necessary thing that's going to happen. But the what we're dealing with, like you said, we're on the fringe of the fringe. We're talking about, like, monsters and robots and magic crystals and doing ritual spells. Like, we're talking about some really fucking crazy stuff. And, yes, there's a serious side to it, but you have to be able to laugh. That's an important side to it. And you have to also understand that nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a point you drive home in the book a lot, and I totally agree with. Uh, there's, there's, there's an unnecessary reticence from people in this field, in all the fields, really. You know, we speak of the paranormal, all, all of them, really, to – to just say you don't know, just what's wrong with saying you don't know? Like we don't know. If you knew, if we knew, we wouldn't be doing this. So that's, that, you know, that's why I get frustrated really with like some of the UFO people who were like, we know the aliens are coming here. It's like we don't know that. We don't know anything about these fucking UFOs, dude. We don't know anything about them. So anyone who says otherwise, uh, really, you know, doesn't know what they're talking about. But yeah, so yeah. people need to be and able to say I don't know. They need to be able to say, I don't know. And again, like I can't stress to people enough when someone starts in this field, whether it's cryptozoology or ufology or ghosts or, you know, psychic phenomena, remote viewing, magic, witchcraft, whatever. When someone starts telling you definitive declarative statements, this is a ghost. That is a demon. This is an extraterrestrial uh, this ritual works 100% of the time. If somebody says stuff like that, that, that person it can be very problematic in your life. Yeah. Extrapolate on that, though, because uh, that's very definitive. I like it, but just tell, go, go on. Go on. So it leads to someone, you know, I don't have a problem with contactees. Let's, I'll take contactees as an example. Contactees have a very... Uh, rich experiences all all across the board, all across historically, they have these very strange experiences. And I think those experiences are individualized and personalized. And that's why sometimes they don't make sense. In most cases, they don't make sense, but they make sense to the individual. Well, when the individual starts to think that they're the special person who understands everything behind the experience and that you don't understand your experience because you don't see it through their lens, And they start telling you, but the aliens, I'm the only one the aliens talk to. This is how you start to form cults, and this is how you start getting cultish thinking. And once you have a leader whose word is infallible, you're no longer allowed to speculate and theorize yourself. And so you've trapped yourself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. At the risk of drawing too much ire from the UFO crowd, I feel like seeing that nowadays in, in UFO world where uh, speculation
speculation is verboten. But <coughs> um, well, yeah, and it, speculation is is not allowed a lot of the times in the in you know it's so crazy because you do have these like diehard like. I'm I'm now, I guess, one of the older UFO crowd. I'm almost 50. I've been doing this for 30 years, so I guess I'm one of the old guys now. But it's so strange to me that there's this old crowd that's seen as blocking the way for the new UFO community, when in essence the old crowd is saying, like, you just need to slow down for a second and look at what's happening because we were in your position before and we fell on our faces over and over and over again. We don't want that to happen with you. And the new community is like, get out of our way. You don't know what you're talking about. We're better than you. We have better stuff than you. Uh, get out of our way. And there's yeah, – yeah. I, I, I don't find anything wrong with saying take your time. Like, this shit isn't going away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think what I liked a lot about the book, too, is uh, just even from, uh, you know, you were talking about your background and everything. I was on Nate Brislin's show uh, last night. We taped the show. It should be sometime coming out soon. But uh, I was sort of talking about sort of how I made my path in all this. And uh, I think we have a mutual sort of agreement that it's like you got to you got to know you got to know the history of all this. You got to know the people who built. The you know the, the the giants upon whose shoulders we stand. Uh, I think that's really important, and and I, I think you have an appreciation for that old guard who who paved the road so so guys like us could be around for a long time. For sure, and here's something else too, which I I, I found very interesting, and I've been seeing a lot of lately, and it's unfortunate. Which is, I don't have a problem with someone saying uh, I'm wrong. Like, I know that I'm not right about a lot of stuff. I openly admit I don't know what's going on. So for someone to challenge my ideas, like, please, I want to be smarter. I want to have better ideas. The difficulty for me comes in the fact where there are people who, when you want to challenge them, they feel completely fine challenging anyone else that is outside of themselves. But if you speculate or challenge their ideas, then you become pariah to that person or that group of people. And that, yeah. that's always been very curious to me. Um, I, I really don't understand. We talked about this a little bit off the air. Uh, I really don't understand like people who want to be famous in this field. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just yeah, doesn't make any sense. What? 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 Like, how? The most famous people in the world, uh, in this field, uh, first of all, are unknown to most people throughout the world, and for the people who do know who they are, half of them think that they're a fraud, and the other half are like, "Yeah, that guy's okay." That's fame. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Community. Yeah, yeah. Half the people that yeah, half the people that know them, yeah, I think they're yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's kind of like, what do you want to? I don't get what what it, there is to achieve by becoming. You know, as we call it on the show, UFO famous. You know, to me, it's like I've said this many times on the show. It's like you, all you end up doing is sort of like. You want to be on the circuit and and doing books. If that's what you want to do, like write books and be on the circuit, I guess that's cool. But to me, it's like, I don't, yeah, there's no, UFO famous is like an illusion. It's really not, you don't really become, you're just, you're just a really large fish in a, in a tiny little puddle. 
Yeah, I mean, so all I really know is my own life. And and my path has been I researched all this stuff and lectured on all this stuff and investigated all this stuff and worked on a lot of stuff. Now, while I was working for Unsolved Mysteries as a researcher, like I was also a custodian in a high school because I needed to make money. And, you know, I worked normal jobs the entire time I was researching and lecturing. And I got to a point where I had saved up enough money to actually buy a house so that I didn't have a mortgage. And when I was like, you know what, I bought a house, I just have to cover my bills. I think that I'm going to just spend the rest of my life kind of living this dream of talking about weird stuff with weird people. And maybe that'll work out like that in, is in my brain, like the best case scenario. Like I don't have a real job. I haven't for since 2010. Uh, so for yeah. 10 years, but the only reason that I can do that is because I scrubbed toilets and drove school buses and worked in junior highs as a para pro for kids with learning right. disabilities yeah. you, and you saved hustled, up my man. money. You hustled. You've done tons of lectures and everything. <laughs> I mean, just even in the paranormal realm, it's like I think that's another thing that people don't like. First of all, you're never going to get rich in this field. That's like not going to happen. And, and again, as we've said, you'll become famous within the bubble. And it, it's like even if you want to do that. It, I think people get frustrated. They think it's so easy. It's like it's not easy. You've got to work your ass off, like double time probably in this field to make ends meet because it's just not really – like some of these people, they, you know, they'll start up a podcast or they don't make it or they'll start up a Patreon or whatever and it doesn't take off. And it's like you would – the energy you've put into this, if you could have picked any other topic, you probably would have been successful <laughs> Like, actually successful, like, where you would become your job. Like, if you had a podcast on cricket, there's enough people who would who would probably support a cricket podcast. I'm sure there are people that support a cricket podcast. There's room for one more, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, but, but with this field, it's it's very, very hard to, to uh, oh, like I said, make ends meet pretty much. Well, I, I had a conversation with someone this week, and, and they said something about, being famous and researching this stuff. And they, I, I was talking about, you know, it took me a long time and I spent many years doing lectures to empty libraries to get to this point where I get to do this every day. And this is my life now. And they said, well, I want to be famous, like, you know, be able to write books and be as well regarded as like Jacques Vallée. And I said, okay, <laughs> but you get, I was like, okay, that's fine. But before you become a UFO researcher, you need to get your PhD in computer sciences and become a computer scientist. Like, like there's work involved as a normal person before nobody just like one day says, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and then researches UFOs. And that's all they ever do, you know? And they said, right. well, okay, not Jacques Vallée, like Alan Hynek. And I was like, okay, then get a PhD in astronomy. Like, like work yeah, went yeah. into being able to be UFO famous. Exactly. Uh, I sound like an old timer now, but like nowadays, it's like you know, the first step isn't shouldn't be just to have a logo. Like the logo, like the logo should be. That's why when you people check out my shit, it's all it's all shitty <laughs> stuff made in paint, and it's run it's, it's run on HTML my website because it's like I just do the shit and put it out, and if people want to hear it, great. Um, you know, I don't the slickness to me is that that should be the last thing you worry about. But, 
Yeah, well, and I'm an if old you, fart at if this you, point, I guess. If you, if you want to be you, the other thing is, too, is here's, here's, you know, the kind of unspoken rule. And this is, you know, one of those things that everybody knows but very few people talk about, which is if you do want to be famous in the cryptozoological community, like famous, or if you want to be famous in the ghost community, if you want to be famous in the UFO community, then lie. Yeah, no shit. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't do any do, don't do any real research. Just lie about stuff, because when you lie, you can say any shit you want to, and it'll be hyperbolic, and people will want to hear about it, and someone will want to give you a television show, and yeah, just realize, yeah. yeah, and just realize that at some point, though, if your lie is found out, your life in this community is over. Yeah, it's yeah. That's a yeah. You need, yeah, beyond, maybe even if you don't want to lie, it's like you have to be insanely sensational. You have to, like, come up with the most grandiose, cra- like the crazier, you know, you take a hard, hard, a hard left into crazy uh, if you really want to sort of gin up a lot of interest, I find. A lot of people uh, who achieve a certain level of notoriety are attached to some of the zaniest shit. Um you know, so. Well, and, and, and th- that's the thing, too, is, and I, you, you know this, and this is, again, this is something that I think a lot of people talk about but never really gets discussed that often in, in the general public, which is when you do that, too, when you become the kind of individualized researcher who has the crazy story and you're being hyperbolic and you're making up some stuff and maybe you got some real good stuff on one side that's actually not made up but you want to accent it a little bit, like you're in that by yourself. And when you're in that when you're in that place by yourself, you will go mad. Like you'll go insane. I've seen that in the UFO community, in the ghost community, in all of the paranormal communities. Like people will just go crazy and because no one is there to pull them out. They get they start to believe their own bullshit. Yeah. And then they're just gone. It's uh yeah, it's very interesting. It's uh it's quite a it's quite a field of interesting cats, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. But it's uh well one of the I'm gonna pivot here and we'll probably circle back to this paranormal uh community stuff, but I wanna uh talk a little bit about some of this other stuff in the book. Now, one of the things this was like and I presume like I don't I don't think maybe this may be wholly your own uh something you came up with, but I, I presume maybe somebody has offered this as an idea before, but this is the first time I considered it in reading your book was this idea that, like, when you really kind of break down ghost hunting, we're going to pivot a little to ghost hunting now, uh, when you break down this ghost hunting thing, like, it shouldn't, it, doesn't, it shouldn't make any sense. Like, if you're talking to this ghost, like, theoretically, like, where the ghost, we know how sound is made, so it shouldn't, the way the sound is being received, theoretically, by whatever the presence is, is not the way we think it is, because it's not the way it is for us, but we somehow transpose that onto whatever the force is. I might have butchered all that, but I think you got... They don't have ears. That's the point you make. Ghosts don't have ears. Yeah, they don't have ears. They don't have mouths. They don't have hands. And so we apply our seemingly shared realities logic onto ghosts, and it becomes completely illogical. Like, uh, you can, people can hear me because my throat pushes air through it and vibrates the air, and then it vibrates your ear, and then you hear me. 
Like a ghost doesn't have a mouth to push air. Like it doesn't have a throat or a larynx or lungs as far as we know. It doesn't have hands to move anything. When you see something move, people are like, oh, a ghost moved that. Can you turn that flashlight on? Like they don't have fingers to press buttons to turn flashlights on and off. They don't have, I yeah. mean, you know, the as, as a science fiction and kind of horror fan, I remember when I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old talking to a guy at a comic shop and he explained to me that like the invisible man doesn't work because the invisible man's eyes are invisible, which means they don't reflect light. So he's blind. Like your, 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 your lot, your ah. retinas and eyes have to reflect and, and refract light so that you can see. And if the invisible man's eyes are invisible, he's blind. So he can't see. So I was like, Oh, so ghosts would be blind too. Or they experience it on a completely different and unknown parallel reality to ours and somehow manipulate us into experiencing them. And that's not how people think that ghost hunting works. They think that grandma's quasi-invisible body is walking around in the building, still being grandma and still doing the things that grandma did. And that's a possibility, but it seems pretty unlikely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it just it, there's a lot of like physicality where you think it. Like if you really think more about it, like I said, it's kind of what put the seed in my head was that ear stuff in the book, where it's like that other side has to be. You know, I would presume it has to have some kind of like there's there, there are less rules or something. You know, there are less sort of like the laws of physics maybe somehow don't apply or something. I don't know, but it's a very you know we I don't even think we can fathom it in a sense, but it's, it's something like well, and very weird. It, it, yeah. And if you apply physicality in any sense to them, if you say that they're still like their human essence or whatever is still over there and still has arms and eyes and clothes and they're still somewhat human, like then you have to apply, like you're picking and choosing which things you can apply because people will say like, Oh, there's a, uh, a ghost boy in this house and he's five years old and he died a hundred years ago. And people talk to him like he's five. But, like, if there is physicality, like, didn't he grow up on the other side? Isn't he 105 years old now? Like, why would he, his mentality have been locked into that position forever? Um, you know, the, the, the five-year-old Tim doesn't exist anymore. You're not five years old anymore. That five-year-old you is, in essence, gone and dead. Uh, something like five-year-old Tim still exists. It's just an older more read, well-read, better comprehending philosophical version. And so if you die and all of a sudden can experience reality not locked and tethered into your biological body, like you're, of course your experience and your mind and your ideas are going to change and grow. And so why would you think they're the exact same person 100 years later that they were 100 years ago? Yeah, it's confounding. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, this uh, this came up once when I was talking to Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and uh, it's always kind of fascinated me. I haven't heard many people explore this idea. Uh, it popped into my head when I was talking to her a long time ago. This kind of combines two realms that you're well familiar with, conspiracy and this ghosts and the afterlife. Now, do you think, because we hear all this stuff about, oh, the government should tell us what they know about UFOs and everything. Do you think the government... Or, you know, some, some you know, nefarious, or not necessarily nefarious, but some cabal, some cadre, some, not necessarily like a mystic, but like uh, the powers that be, some pocket of the powers that be, if, if you will, set all that up. Do you think they, 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 do you think they know 
what happens when you die? Like, is that like some secret you think that is kept by either the government or handed down in time by maybe secret societies or something like that? Uh, I mean, I would hope so. I would hope that uh, I talk about this at my lectures sometimes, like the, the first thing that should have happened when there were like three sentient cavemen, like walking around, like, and they had self-awareness, like, the first thing that should have happened when one of the three died, when one like fell down on the bo- on the ground, boom, and was dead, the other two at that point should have been like, what the fuck just happened to him? Is that going to happen to me? Let's start studying this shit right now. And yeah, yeah, that, yeah. right, like that should have been prime goal of humans, like aside from staying alive and eating and procreating, like figure out what the fuck happens when you die. But the default, it seems, historically was like uh, dig a hole and plant him in the ground like a seed. Maybe he'll grow again. And now, you know, 500,000 years later, we're still digging holes and putting people in them as if that means something. Like, I I would hope that there's a group, a society, a cabal, someone somewhere that actually held the secret. Uh, But the reality is, is I don't think that. I think that there are some things that are supposed to be unknown to us. And I think that what comes after this seemingly shared reality is one of those mysteries. I think that the world is supposed to contain mysteries so that we can dialogue and engage with each other about those mysteries. I think that's why it's so important to talk about this stuff. Not that we solve it, but that we use it as a mechanism to discuss our inner deepest feelings with each other. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. I think about I think what if, spawned that a lot was that Kevin Bacon movie. That wasn't that the whole theme of the movie, like that he was they were gonna die to try and find out what was on the other side, it turned into like a thriller or something like that. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Flatliners. Yes, yes. Part of yeah. me wonders, you know, it's like that you know, it's like oh the government they did all kinds of crazy fucking experiments like since World War Two. I figure they must have <laughs> At the very least, if some ancient cabal didn't know, I figure the government at some point during their most nefarious over the last, like, 60, 70 years must have tried to do it. But who knows? I'm sure that, I'm sure that they have tried to do it, and I'm sure that, I mean, the way that, if anything, like, let's, uh, I, I, I like to play these thought games. I mean, that's kind of the, the idea behind Theoretical Weirdo is that, we live in this community where it's okay to theorize. Like we're not a, a hard science. Like we, there's no rules. We can, we're allowed to go to strange places with our thoughts. And the thing that I've always wondered about is not if they know what comes after death, but I've always thought to myself, how much would they keep us from knowing that there's nothing after this life? Let's say that they knew definitively that Thousands of years ago, all of these groups, and then even more recently with high technology and experiments like the governments of the world and the religions of the world knew that once you die, you're just fucking dead and there's nothing else after it forever. Like, what would they do to keep us from knowing that? Because if that's true, if there's no God, if there's no spirit world, if once you die, you're dead then all bets are off the fucking table. Like you might as well do whatever, whatever the fuck you want right now. And that utter chaos and pandemonium. Yeah. That's an interesting scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You don't don't want seven, you don't want 7 billion people (laughs) doing 
anything that they want to because they know that there's not uh, any kind of reward or punishment. That's just a terrifying scenario just, like, for me just to think about because, like, that is – I wouldn't ex- – <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily be that. If that like was if they had if they had death disclosure tomorrow and, uh, and all that came out, I I wouldn't be one of the people who freaked out and like started doing anything terrible. I probably would just be like really fucking depressed. I'd be like, shit. Well, I'm already forty. What the fuck? Now 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 you're telling me right. I'm banking on afterlife, dude. I'm banking on that. I I can't. I can't. <laughs> But the thing is, is there would be a lot of people. There would be there are there are a lot of people. There are atheists oh, right now who 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 believe like, okay, so we should take the time to be nice to each other, and we should take the time to smell the roses, and we should take the time to admire the beauty and the the delicateness of life and the fragility of life because it's going to be over soon. But if you told all of the earth and everyone on it, there's fucking nothing. Like, once you're gone, nothing. Do whatever you want. There are going to be a lot more people who don't want to take the time and smell the flowers. There are going to be a lot more people who want to see what it's like to fucking kill people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or get revenge that they, you know, all that shit. Yeah. All kinds of people. Yeah. (laughs) It would be frightening. Yeah, then you'd have, like, the crazy people who just, uh, (laughs) then you'd have, like, a mad dash, uh, of, of like the super rich and shit to figure out how to keep prolonged life as long as possible. So it would be an interesting, right. that would be a good sci-fi movie. <laughs> I, I mean, that is the reality though, right? Like the, the rich people immediately would sink all of their money into how can I keep myself alive longer? And then we would get some terrible, like it, eventually the technology would leak down to people like us and we'd get some terrible, like, uh, you know, glitchy software that we would have to, our families would have to pay for forever to keep our minds alive in a terrible, you know, Pearl Apache server somewhere. Yeah, like it's just a terrible simulation thing that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's depressing. Um, now, this is a little <laughs> deeper. <laughs> um, now, we kind of pivot back to the... The just the sort of paranormal research in general. I really like you, you advocate for a philosophical approach to paranormal research. It's kind of a little bit, kind of what we're doing tonight, but just sort of this idea of 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 maybe just taking a broader look at all this and 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 not necessarily getting so in the weeds on it. I find that that really is refreshing uh, with with this field because I think once you kind of are too burrowed down into into the real nitty gritty, you kind of can lose the forest for the trees. Yeah, I, you know, every year, uh, except for this year, but, you know, I I will sometimes host or uh, be there while while there there are these kind of large conference ghost hunts going on. And I always tell people, like, don't worry about your camera and your tape recorder and your EMF meter. Like, that stuff is fine. If you want to do that, obviously, please go ahead and do that. But, like, your best photograph isn't going to be proof of anything to anyone but you. Your best recording isn't going to be proof of anything to anyone but you. Like, because we're not doing science. Like, we're yeah. just experimenting. We're doing it very loosely. Uh, nobody has controls. Nobody's going for reproducibility. No one's going for falsifiability. Like, what we should be doing is go on a ghost hunt, and then we should be having kind of roundtables after we're done where 
where we're being philosophical, where we talk about, well, what did that mean? What was that feeling when you heard that thing? What was that experience? Did you have any imagery? Like, we should be talking deeply about this very important subject because that's where I feel this community can make a breakthrough. When we start to realize that, you know, life is precious and that we don't really know what happens after we die. Like those are the questions we should be discussing, not, you know, getting, like you said, in the weeds about, well, is the mag light just turning on because the coil is heating or is a ghost actually influencing the electromagnetic field? That's very clinical and not very fun and interesting to me. What's fun and interesting to me is what was that feeling when you thought that you were getting a response from someone in the afterworld. How did that make you feel? How did that connect with you on a deeper emotional level and psychological level? Because this is how I feel about it. And then you get into very deep and honest, open conversations. Like I, I, I do think that we need to be more speculative, more deep thinking, and together we construct much larger ideas than we can do by ourselves. Yeah, because, like, in the book you introduced, in the ears discussion, you sort of put forward the idea that, like, okay, so maybe this force, for lack of a better term, is uh, instead of all the energy it would take for it to uh, manifest in front of you, it could just kind of, like, ping the part of your brain that remembers your grandmother or whatever. It's sort of like the discussion then should really be, like, okay, instead of, like, oh, what did your, like, what did your, what did your grandmother look like or whatever? Or like, did she say anything? It's, it's maybe you should be like asking yourself like, okay, why did I just see that? Like, why did that right. just happen? You know? Right. And when we have to realize too, like if, if two people are standing in a hallway and they see a woman in white in the hallway, like we don't know. And this is just, the reality of, you know, our subjective and perspective realities. Like we don't know if they're both seeing the same woman in white. Like if I see a red ball bouncing down the street and you see a red ball bouncing down the street and I say, Oh, I saw a red ball. And you say, Oh, I saw a red ball. We immediately think that we saw the same red ball, but but there's no proof that we saw the same red ball. I might've seen one that was bouncing down the street. And then I talk to you later and I'm like, when did you see that? And you're like, Oh, I saw it, you know, at four o'clock. And I'm like, Oh, I saw mine at six in the morning. Like it's obviously not the same red ball, but we immediately jump to the idea that, Oh, we both heard the same voice. Oh, we both saw the same figure. Like we don't even know if that's true because we're not having deep discussions with each other. How many of these ghost hunts have you been on? Would you say at this point in your life? Group or group and individual like cases. I guess just. Or you uh, to, I guess all together. I mean, I guess if you're in, in search of spirits, let's say. So I guess would encompass all of that. In search of spirits, I mean that's a good question. Actually, I don't think I've ever sat down to figure that out. It's got to be, I don't know, in the past thirty years, a couple thousand. So you have a lot of experience with that. <laughs> that was kind of the that was kind of the point. Now I've only done like two or three of these, and I I don't have I feel like I didn't have the constitution for it. But I guess for a neophyte, like what do you find is the best approach to take? And I know obviously it sort of differs for every person, but I guess what has worked for you 
Because, like, when I went, when I did, uh, first one I did sort of like, I just mimicked the TV show like every, <laughs> like everyone else does. Right. So, you know, right. I walked around with the thing, I talked, I asked questions. So the second time, like a year later, I was like, all right, that's that's bullshit. So let's I, let's revisit this. And so then I just walked I, around the place and didn't say anything and, and at one point just sat in a chair for a while, but I still didn't experience anything. So it was like, all right, maybe there's another technique I could, you know, maybe there's something else I'm missing here. I mean, I think that that last thing that you said when is very close because when I do groups and a lot of times people will show up because they've seen it on television and so they want to hunt like they see on television, which is fine. That's all they know. But I tell people who will come to my group or they'll come into where I'm investigating and I tell people like, your body is a is a very strangely tuned machine to intercepting information. You, throughout your normal daily life, you will walk into a restaurant or a location and you'll get a weird feeling. Or you'll know that someone is staring at you. You can feel them like staring at you or you'll get a creepy feeling. And so I tell people, like, if you've never been on a ghost hunt before, uh, Recently, I was at, this is last year, I was at a place called Belvoir Winery in uh, Missouri. And I told people we were in a graveyard, and it was outside, and it was at night, and there's dogs in the neighborhood, and there's a a road nearby. And I said, listen, none of your recording equipment is going to be any good. There's too much wind. There's dogs barking. There's cars. So you're not going to use your recorders. What I want you to do is I want you to walk around this graveyard, and I want you to just pay attention to your body. And notice that as you're walking through the graveyard, sometimes your gait will slow and you'll slow down walking when you get near or away from something. Go back to that place where you slowed down and spend a minute. Get down. Try and open yourself up mentally and psychologically that maybe something is happening. And I think that's a really good place to go. I mean, I'm not an enormous fan of Hans Holzer, the kind of ghost hunting grandfather of this community. But the, one, of the times that, one of the times that I met him, I had a Geiger counter and I had a flashlight and I had a tape recorder. And he said to me, what are you going to do with all that stuff? And I said, I'm going to catch a ghost. And he laughed and he said, someday you're going to grow. He laughed and he said, someday you're going to grow up. You're going to throw that shit away and you're going to allow yourself to have an experience. And that's some true shit. Like if you're spending all your time looking at the beeping machine and the flashing lights, like something might be right in front of you saying like, fucking look at me, but you don't see him because you're worried about getting it on tape. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that sort of, I was very, I mean, I get why people do it. It's cool, I guess, but I was very, I grew very cynical about like a little machine that like goes through the, you know, that picks up the, the words and shit. So it's like, all right, let's just, I just, that's why I kind of just got up and walked around. So I think that yeah. might be, and and I, I don't know if I thought about it then. I hope I did. But part of me from talking to you is like, well, I think maybe when you're in that space, like you should, if, if some random thought crosses your mind, like that's worth noting. That might be something that, you know, if all Absolutely. of a sudden you think of something completely random, it's like, well, shit, maybe that's, Maybe that you're like, why did I just think of that? That that might be yeah. That might be more profound than the uh, than an EVP or something. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, it's been asked uh, <laughs> doing a lot of ghost hunts with a lot of groups and stuff. Uh, at certain points, you know, I'll get the group together and we'll do a, a, a group 
electronic voice phenomena session, a group EVP session, uh, because I, I like to feel that everybody working together has more power to push something into another reality than just me. But a lot of times people will ask me after the EVP session, why did you ask that really weird question about mittens? Or why did you ask that really weird question about popcorn? Or why did you ask that really weird question about rabbits? And I'll tell them because we were sitting around in the dark in a hotel in the middle of winter. And for some reason, popcorn came into my mind and I don't know why. And so I just asked, does it have something to do with popcorn? Did you like popcorn? Like exactly what you were saying. Like, why did this random thought pop into my head? Did someone else put it there and wants to talk about it? And so like, yeah, it's important that we pay attention to ourselves because we're part of the interaction. What I thought was interesting, too, it kind of like opened my eyes, a lot like the ear thing. Um, it's one of those things where it's like it's common sense until you – it's not common sense until you hear it. Then it's like, why didn't I fucking think of that before? This is from uh, from your book here, Theoretical Weirdness. What what uh, made me think about this? I'm building up to something. <laughs> building up to something here. Um, was that you said you made the observation that – like you see all this stuff, and even the even the ghost hunts I've been on, and I'm guessing like the vast majority of ones that you did, you've done, um, they're all at nighttime, and it's like there's nothing, there's no reason, we don't know, like there's <laughs> there's no indication whatsoever that we're aware of, that I'm aware of, that that you can't just do this in the daytime, like maybe right. who the fuck knows, maybe you have better results in the daytime, who knows, but nobody does it in the daytime. The trope of hunting ghosts at night really began with television, with popular culture in movies and television, and it's because it's spooky. And if you talk to ghost hunters now, they'll tell you, the majority of them will say, like, well, we investigate at night because it's quieter, because there's less traffic, the na- you know, the neighbors are asleep, uh, there's less planes flying overhead, there's less contamination, they'll tell you this. Uh, But at the same time, like when you're in the dark and in the quiet, your brain will create imagery and sounds because it lacks imagery and sounds. So at a psychological level, it's actually a pretty bad time to investigate because your brain is looking around in the darkness trying to make sense of the darkness. And your ears are reaching out in the darkness trying to find any sound. And when you're in your mindset, when you're trying to find a ghost like that, that stuff, it psychologically can really be misinformed. There's no good reason to investigate at only at night. I investigate a lot during the day. There are places that for me are a lot more active during the day than at night. I've investigated this place called Penhurst Asylum in Pennsylvania multiple times. And I don't investigate it at night. They'll have night investigations, and I'll say, I'll do the day investigations. No one wants to do the day investigations because the day investigations aren't scary. But we end up with the best results because I take everybody into the what was the cafeteria, and in the middle of the day, we try to have interactions. And when Penhurst was being used as an asylum, During the day is when it was active. At night, people were restrained and told to be quiet all night long. Now you walk in there, and it's almost as if the ghosts do have a memory of 
what they were told. And you walk in there at night and you're like, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. Any person that was at Pennhurst was told to shut up and be quiet at night. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. So the what I was building up to here, so I, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, okay. I've, I've taken to walking in the last, like, week and a half. And I, I think I'm over the hump now of where it's like you – for me at least, where it's like I have to do it a few times, and now I've kind of gotten a rhythm where it's like, all right, now I walk every day. So uh, there's a very large – it's now – with I've expanded my radius. I've, <laughs> I walk. I walk first. It was like a half mile, then it grew to more and more miles. So now I'm walking like four or five miles a day. So now within my radius is a very large uh, graveyard that I could easily walk around in. So, so I'll sort of – I'm going to, in the next, you know, week or two, maybe even tomorrow, it's Saturday, I have a lot of time. So uh, I'm going to sort of put some of these ideas into practice, and I'll walk to the graveyard, uh, and I'll just walk around. It'll be in the daytime, because I don't don't fucking walk around at night. Um, (laughs) Not that you can't, but, you know, it's dangerous, I think. There's coyotes in my town and everything else, so uh, I don't want wild raccoons and whatnot. You don't want to run around walking around my town at night so, and teenagers, which are the worst, the most dangerous game of all. But, uh, so yeah, so I will do, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of put some of these ideas we've talked about into practice and, uh, I'll have my phone with me. So if anything crazy happens, I'll tweet it out to people. But yeah, I think that the idea of, of not overlooking the daytime, changing that paradigm, uh, is a really interesting sort of uh, avenue to explore. Well, it goes right back to that idea that there's some kind of parallel between our reality and the one that seems to exist with ghosts. I mean, the idea that ghosts are sitting around waiting for it to get dark before they start talking to anyone. Uh, I mean, most people sleep during the night, right? So if they're holding over any of their humanity after they pass over, wouldn't they be asleep too in the middle of the night and you're waking them up? Maybe that's why their answers are so disjointed at night. You're waking some woman up out of slumber and they're talking to you. Uh, I don't know. Uh, who yeah, are you? Yeah. Like maybe that's why ghosts at night speak so strangely. Um, but yeah, I can't tell you. I've worked on television shows. The When I was on the television show, ghost stalkers in 2014, uh, Every place that we investigated, we also investigated during the day, and none of it was ever shown on television. Right. Not spooky. <sighs> wow. You would think that, like, I don't know. Well, let's talk a little bit sort of about that experience, because I have that in my notes, So we'll, we, since you brought it up. But, but you would think, this, we can, this, seg, this question can kind of segue into, into the discussion, but, like, you would think, like, where the, where the fuck's the imagination, man? Like... Like, uh, uh, we obviously, well, you're in it, but obviously we both love Hellier's. Like, a lot of shit happens in the daytime in Hellier's. It's, things are, they're doing shit. It's uh, all <laughs> throughout the 24-7 show. Like, you would think some of these cable shows would at least have the imagination to try to do it differently. Like, why is it just so intellectually lazy to just keep doing the overnight thing? Because most of the shows are run by network executives who don't believe in any of this in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they're put together by crews of people who don't believe in any of this any way, shape, or form. They're trying to do it as fast and as cheap as possible, and they know that if it's spooky, people will watch it. 
And it, they, I mean, they're not trying to educate anybody. The most, I mean, that's the other thing too, when you talk about like television shows as a way to educate people, especially in the supernatural, like the most watched paranormal television show has like 2 million viewers. That's it. Right. And then right. you figure half of them, half of them are watching because, uh, they like horror movies and they like spooky stuff, which leaves, you know, maybe a million people who watch it because they're actually interested in ghosts. Uh, that's a very small target demographic audience. So they don't want to spend a ton of money trying to get people to think about stuff. Uh, on an episode of Ghost Stalkers, I'll give you an example. Uh, we were in a location and someone had seen what they claimed to be a kind of goat man in the location ah, or the form of a, a form of a goat man. And after we had filmed the episode, uh, the network came to me and said, we want to do a voiceover where you explain goat men. And so I said, okay, give me a day or so. So I put together like three or four paragraphs about the mythology behind goat men and Bahamut and pan and all of these goat men throughout history and what they mean and how they relate and what they could, what they could symbolize. Yeah. And at the end of my like closing paragraph was something to the effect of, but in modern day and due to the hyperbolic nature of television, uh, goat men are thought of as demons. And when the television show aired, they literally used just the last sentence of the three paragraphs. They showed a picture of Bahamut and you just hear my voice go, people think that goat men are demons. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, Jesus. And now, that was all how much, so, like, like, let's let's sort of, if you don't mind, let's like break a little bit of the fourth wall on this because everybody, sure, you know, everybody fucking wants to be have a TV show. That's the that's their whole for a lot of these folks. That's kind of like that's that's our that's our Grandpa Simpson shakes fist at cloud uh, <laughs> right. idea here of, of these folks who just want to be on who just want a TV show. But like, so what in your what was it like being? On the thing, you didn't like from what happened. What you just said, uh, this wasn't like your show. They just brought you in, had you do this shit, and then got got rid of you, right? And then made the show. Uh, you know, you were like, I don't want to say. No, we actually. You, you, how did it work? So a lot of the times, what happens is is, uh, so like I was contacted, like, do you want to do a show? We're going to do a show with you and this other guy, Chad. And you guys are going to investigate locations and you've had a, a death experience. Chad had a near death experience. So we're going to investigate ghosts and that's going to be kind of the arc of the story. And I said, well, that's cool. That's a cool kind of arc. And I said, plus Chad has never investigated ever. He's done like three like hosted ghost events. So he's never really investigated properly. And then I'm kind of old and jaded. I've done this for at that time, 25 years. So that'll be a yeah. cool dichotomy, like a cool thing to watch as well. I said, plus I only want to go to places. And I actually, there's a lot of input on this show. I said, plus I want to go to places okay. that have ne never been seen on television. Uh, we're going to investigate during the day. I'm going to investigate one night by myself. Chad will investigate one night by himself. We don't want any camera crews. Nobody's allowed to be on set. We will be our own cameramen. I don't want anyone around to be able to screw with us. And that is where the problems really started because when you watch a paranormal show, there's usually, you know, someone investigating, but they have a cameraman and a sound man with them. So that's three people in the location. Uh, right. If you take a show where you've got three people investigating, 
Now you've got the three investigators, three cameramen, and three soundmen, so you've got nine people in the building. That's even more contamination for investigation. Plus, you've probably got a craft service table outside with a director, a producer, and a showrunner outside. So that's four more people outside. So when we really went to the network and said, listen, it's just going to be Chad and I. Like, we're going to be the only people. Uh, They were very wary about that. We got into big fights over the fact that we would have to get credits as cameramen because – like union rules state we couldn't be cameramen and all this stuff. Oh, God, um, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it was really crazy, but we went in, we found really good stuff, and when I started seeing, so all of the voiceovers in television shows, this is breaking the fourth wall for everybody, all of the voiceovers are done. You film the investigation. Let's say it takes four days to film an episode. Uh, you give all of the footage to whoever's going to, the network usually has a company that's going to edit it. They edit the show together. Uh, then you get a rough cut of it. And like for me and Chad, we would write notes about the rough cut. Maybe you need to show this. Maybe you need to show that. And then I would start also writing my narration for the episodes. Uh, then you'd see another rough cut or a final cut and you do your narration and then it would just air that way. Well, what happened is, yeah. is after Chad and I saw what they were doing, I think about three episodes in, and the way that they were cutting it and editing it, uh, one of the things we would do is we would start submitting our um, voiceovers like the day before the episode would actually air. And that would give ah. them no t- that would give them no time to edit our voices. They had to get it on the air, so they were just taking like raw cuts of us and putting it on. So it was actually the last three episodes are actually a lot more real in a sense because no one could fuck around with our audio. Um, I mean, it was a good experience, but I have obviously problems with any television show. I I I was asked to do a spinoff of Paranormal State. And, you know, we got to a location and I walked in the house and, and this was, this was one of those productions where there's cameramen and sound men and directors and showrunners. And I walked into the house and the first thing I, I knew within an, 30 minutes of being in the house was the family had a lot of abuse issues, both psychological and drug abuse issues, that the house, whether or not it was haunted, the last thing this family needed were people telling them that their house was haunted. And yeah. I went outside and I told the, the producer of the show, I said, listen, this family needs therapy. They need counselors. Uh, there needs to be an intervention. They do not need ghost hunters in their house right now. And the producer told me, I need you to go in that house, John, and tell them that there's a demon in their house. And what? I told him Holy I quit. I, I told him I, and I told him I quit. And he told me I couldn't. They told me they'd sue me for a million dollars. I literally walked four miles back to my hotel and flew home the next day. And then that show was never made. Wow. And they didn't sue you for a million dollars, right? No, I mean, I, we went back and forth where I kept my response to their emails was constantly, I do not have a million dollars. Go ahead and sue me for a million dollars. Like you're never going to get it. Right. And plus the whole thing, I love to see the court case like comes up where it's like he wouldn't go in there and tell them that their house is haunted by a demon. It's like, how right. can you, how can any jury find <laughs> fault in that? And they would have to re- reveal that they manipulate television shows like that. Exactly, exactly. All right, so that's, uh, that's so, interesting. So, so anyway, I'm not the like, darling honey. I'm not the darling honey of television networks. I'll tell you that right now. I 
<laughs> I am so problematic to them because of this weird amount of integrity and morals that I have. They do not like it. Um, that's terrible to say that, but it's true. I uh, had a network contact me and they said, listen, we want to do a show with you. You can do anything you want. Uh, let's do it. And so I had a cameraman come out. We filmed a sizzle reel, a little kind of proof of concept. Uh, it was exactly what I wanted to do. We submitted it to the network. They said, we love it. It's awesome. Let us have a little while to sit with it and run it past everybody. A month went by. Let us have it for another month. Another month goes by. Like the third month goes by. They're like, we love it. And I said, well, what, what's going on? And they said, well, we think it needs a monster. <laughs> wow. And I told them, I said, I said, there's no monster in this, though. And they're like, well, we want a monster. And I said, well, then I don't want to do the show. And network people are so strange. Like the fact that someone says to them, like, fuck it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to be on television, is something that they hear yeah. so infrequently that that just was so startling to them. Like, what do you mean you don't want to be on television? I was like, I don't, I don't need to be on television. I live, I live a perfectly fine life doing what I do. Like, I don't need to go on television and lie and manipulate people. Like, I don't fucking want to do it. And they're like, okay, we'll do it your way. And I'm like, no, it's fucking done. I'm out. I don't want to even work with you. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? It's interesting, yeah. I, I'm, in a lot of ways, I share a lot of your perspective, where it's like, I've never been one of those people who wanted a TV show or anything. I've never tried to do anything like that. I think I, I filmed one terrible thing like 10 years ago, and uh, after that, I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Like, I don't want to do this. So, uh, but to me, yeah, so it's always been kind of fascinating, like, the people that want to, that we talked about this at the beginning, we're kind of circling back around, but it's good, good sort of uh, grist for the mill, but it's like, people, like, who want to be UFO famous, it's like, there's no, or or famous like you on a TV show, like a ghost hunting TV show, it's like, what is the, I don't, I don't see the thrill, I have a friend, he was on Ancient Aliens, and I'm like, well, he was really happy about it, and I was happy for him. But it was like I would never go on Ancient Aliens because, like, my brother well, would never – my brother would never stop – I would never hear the end of it for the rest of my life. Like, I would, he would just bust my balls. <laughs> that alone isn't, isn't, worth, isn't worth being on the History Channel for 30 seconds. It's like forever, you know? We go out to eat. The waitress comes over. Hey, you might see my brother on Ancient Aliens. Like, dude, you don't have to tell everybody we meet just to fucking embarrass me. So that, 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 that's right. That's my sole reason. Well, and the other thing is too is when you're like main talent on a on a network show, especially a reality show or a or a paranormal reality show, when you're the the talent, right? Like, it's not fun. Like, it's not a fun life. You know, when we were filming Ghost Stalkers, is a good example, just because we were talking about it. You know, I, we, would, we would fly into a town. I would be reading all of the copious notes that we had on the case. I would be trying to track down more notes from myself the entire time I flew into the town. We'd fly into the town. We would interview like six or seven local people. We'd have to set up. We'd have to investigate that night. We'd have to break down, interview more people the next day, investigate again, 
shoot the rest of the like B roll that was going to be shown on the episode, get back on a plane and fly to the next location. Like there's no, you don't fucking sleep. You don't eat well. You're stressed out. Sounds very inorganic. Uh, Yeah. It's not fun. And people are like, Oh, I wish I could do that. No, it's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're not really, it takes the sort of the, go ahead. And unless you're in, unless you're in control of, all of it, unless you're in control of the editing and the sound and everything, you're going to be unhappy with the result because it's someone trying to, someone who doesn't know you trying to figure out who you are. Every show that I've ever been on, I am portrayed as this like very stoic, wizened guy who like is, you know, very calm and rational about stuff. I'm a fucking weirdo. Like, I chain smoke cigarettes and get drunk, and I talk about fucking aliens and frogmen and uh, robots. Like, that's, I'm a weirdo. But they don't, they can't show that on television because they craft the narrative of who each person is. Yeah, it's very frustrating. You uh, you wish, or I wish, I guess, uh, that, you know... You know, just say, I just wish they had more imagination. Like, there are a lot of people, a lot of talented people in the paranormal community that it's just like, if they just kind of, like what, like what you said with with you, where they were like, we want to do whatever you want to do. It's like, then just let him do what he wants to do. And if it, if it let it sink or swim, you know? Like, yeah. let, ride on the courage of John's convictions. Have some guts. Yeah, I'll tell you, it was really funny because I was filming, I was I was doing a guest spot on someone else's show, and um, during a lunch break when we weren't filming, I got into this really heated argument about demons with one of the cast members to the point of where, like, everybody in the lunchroom was, I mean, it got, the fight was raging. Like, we were screaming at the top of our lungs at each other, and... I was like, I don't even know if they're going to let me be on this episode now that I've gotten into this position. <laughs> like, like we are screaming at each other. And what happened was, is like the network almost immediately rebooked me to be on another episode. And they were like, we're going to put you two together. Oh God. And I was like, because they wanted to see us fight like that on camera. Yeah. Yeah. They're probably watching you guys fight at lunch and they're like, why aren't we filming this? Yeah, Absolutely. But the thing is, is by oh that time, by that point, we, you know, by the time the network had seen that and thought it was a good idea, like we had resolved our differences, we had come to amends, and we probably weren't ever going to fight like that ever again. Yeah, that's that's wild. That's wild. It makes perfect sense, though. I can totally see them thinking that, and you, you guys are fighting, and they're like, "This is what we need." Yeah, how we need more? How can we monetize more people it? shouting at each other on these shows? Yeah, how can, and how can we monetize it? That'll be good drama. People will love it. Here's the see. This goes back kind of like to what I was saying in a sense, but I, I guess you know, if anyone with <laughs> if anyone with any any clout in the entertainment world is listening, it's like all the all the shit that people rave about is always. Like, fucking original. That's the crazy part about this paranormal television offerings, that it's all just the same recycled shit. It's like, no one... Like, anything that breaks out of the pack is is what's new and different. Don't they fucking know that? Haven't they figured that out yet? Instead, it's like, well, okay, this time we're just going to explore... It's haunted boats. The show's just haunted (laughs) boats. And then, the you know... And it's like, oh... (laughs) We get, like, three seasons out of haunted boats, and then... 
then we'll move on to haunted RVs, and it's like always kind of the same, the same template. It's very frustrating. That's why I don't watch these shows because it's like, what's the point? I'm cracking up because I was at a meeting with a network once, and I had given them what I thought would have been a great idea for a television show, and they just didn't. Nobody at the table fucking understood what I was talking about, and it was a fairly simple concept, and they just. They're so uninterested in concepts. And I sat there and I was frustrated and I kind of, it's so funny that you said what you just said, because I looked at them and I said, jokingly, I said, okay, I've got another idea. And they were like, what is it? And I said, we're going to investigate haunted planes. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) And they were like, they were like, they were, and they all perked up and they were like, tell us more. And I was like, there have been a lot of, ghost planes and accidents in the air and we're going to do paranormal investigations in airplanes flying around where planes have disappeared <laughs> man that's see now they, i fucking watch that that sounds awesome <laughs> they loved it and they were like but should we investigate in the actual airplanes and then it devolved right back to like no you're going to go to where the planes are crashed and i'm like i don't want to in, i don't want to investigate where planes have crashed like that to me seems terrible that seems horrific. Yeah, that's horrifying. Yeah, that's horrifying. Yeah, that's, but put, yeah. But put me in a plane where a plane has vanished and let me investigate up in the air. That's interesting to me. Yeah, that's cool. That's kind of like the that's like the ghost hunting equivalent of like that vomit rocket that they send like people up so they can feel weightlessness. That's like as as close as you can get. That's that would be right. cool as hell. Shit. Well, yeah, yeah. they're so limited. Like I said, I would genuinely be interested in that. That would be cool. But they're so limited in their (laughs) scope that even that was outside of their reach. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, now we've got uh, eight people investigating less ghosts. Let's do three people. Okay, we've got three. Let's do two. Okay, we've got two. Let's do one's a guy and one's a girl. Okay, now let's do two girls and one guy. Okay, now like. The formula is there, and it was, and it's been created, and they don't want to break from it because they're afraid. They're afraid. I don't, I don't even know what they're afraid of. They're afraid that they're, nobody already watches the shows. Like I just said, That's the, most I mean. watched show has, <laughs> the most watched show has the most watched. Yeah, the most watched show has two million viewers at the most. Nobody, nobody watches these shows already, and they're worried about people not watching them. Uh, you know, here's the other thing too. I think that people, you know, the amount of scripting that goes into a reality show when I, when they when I turned the show in that the network wanted and they told me they wanted a monster involved and we kind of got into a back and forth argument and I said I didn't want to do it anymore. They said, "Well, your show seems very scripted to me." And I said, "Well, it is scripted because I have a narrative that I'm driving for my show." it's going to go from point A to point B and I know what the resolve is. It is scripted. And they said, well, we want a reality show. And I said, your reality shows are more scripted than my scripted show. Because when you film a a, a paranormal reality show, when you show up on the set, they tell you, these are the people who died here. These are the people you're going to look for. These are the questions you're going to ask. And Something has to happen at minute 15. Something has to happen at minute 30. Something has to resolve at 45, and you have to do a closing shot at the end. Like, this, the, the reality shows are already scripted out. They have writers. They have – I mean, yeah. that's just the way they work. Yeah. I remember when I visited a buddy of mine. Uh, 
he was uh, he was one of the writers for a reality show. This was like 20 years ago when they first kind of came on. I don't know how it works now, but at the time they were they weren't in the writers guild and they were very upset about it and trying to yeah rectify that. So I don't even know, but yeah, they were they were all writers who <laughs> wrote reality shows. It was just kind of like and they, it, the fucked up part is they say writers in the credits, but no one ever no one ever bothers to ask like, well, what are you the writers for then? You know. I think out of people right. just accept it. Oh, most people just think reality shows are pretty fake now at this point. So they've kind of figured that out, I think. Yeah, that's true, too. I mean, the majority of people who are watching it know that they're just watching it for entertainment, and they're not really watching it to uh, fire any new neurons in their head. Uh, but, I mean, luckily, we do exist in a world now where you can create your own television show or your own movie with the same, if not better quality than what TV networks are doing. And nobody's, here's the other thing too, Tim, and and your listeners know this, nobody's watching TV anyway. Yeah. I was going to say, you get, you probably get better. You, you, you'd have better distribution. Like the gang on Hellier, they had the stuff on YouTube. It's like, you probably have a better chance of catching someone's eye on YouTube than you would on Destination America, which is like, kind of rebranded it. That was the channel your show was on, right? Yeah, we were on Destination America, and then we got moved. And, they, and that's like wall-to-wall paranormal shows. It's like turned into a paranormal yeah. channel. So it, it's, it's like, yeah. I think people, you're more apt to find the audience you want online. YouTube is bigger than Destination America, so it's, uh, it's a whole new world now. I'll tell you what else is something really funny Hellier related that broke this broke someone's brain, a producer's brain. I was uh Hellier, the second season of Hellier came out and a television producer called me who knew me and he said, uh, I just watched Hellier on Amazon Prime. Uh how much did Amazon pay them to do the show? And I said, Oh, no, that no no no, they paid for it out of their own pocket. They they funded it themselves. And he was like, oh, oh, he's like, so how are they monetizing it? And I, I laughed and I said, uh, they're about to give it away on YouTube for free. That's how they're monetizing <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, they've, they've engendered such goodwill with the people that love the show and everything. It's It's created a community that you just wouldn't. You, I don't know if you it would, that would have been achieved even if you took the same exact show and put it on regular TV. You know, it's just uh, yeah. the, the penetration is not the same with cable anymore. It's Everybody not. has I, YouTube. I, yeah, everyone has YouTube. You know, and then you know people who don't have YouTube have BitTorrent and they torrent sites and they rip off stuff. And if this was free to be given away anyway, so it's like right. I, I love watching because people have become so cynical about reality shows and paranormal reality shows and stuff. One of the things that cracks me up the most about uh, people who dislike Hellier is they say, well, it's all made up, it's all fake, and nothing happens. And that argument has always seemed really weird to me because, like, if you're going to make stuff up and fake it, then you would make something happen. Right, yeah. Like, you don't. Right? Like, you don't make up something and totally fake nothing happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anything, I thought the show really captured the the sort of the maddening, the maddening, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but just sort of the waiting game of this, of, of all this stuff, you know? There's a lot of downtime when you're, when you're hoping to get to 
follow up on whatever you're whatever whatever you're being led down. I kind of well, and <laughs> I kind of rebel there. I think you I know think what it, I mean. Uh, yeah, I think it, and I think it was also the the uh, the first time that a lot of people saw. Oh, this can be discussed through multiple facets. That they're not just ghost hunting. That they're also looking at the right. contactees. That they're also looking for cryptids. That they're also talking about witchcraft. That they're also doing tarot card readings. That they're also doing, you know, quasi pseudo scientific experiments. That they're also just doing regular ghost hunting methods. Like the the fact that people like it blew people's minds when they were like, "What am I watching?" Because I thought this was about goblins, and now they're doing witchcraft. Like. Yeah, yeah, it I covers all different genres. Was... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very interesting like that. That's why I really liked a lot about it. I think that that's I think that's something people need to see. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, it's a, it's it, it it inspires a lot of passion both ways. I've seen people who get angry, but it's like, why the fuck are you angry? Like, why that 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 I don't understand. <laughs> that I don't understand just in general. Like, I don't get angry about all that much in this field unless it's like people behaving badly, but. You know, but if, but if it's like, I don't like that show. I don't like why people. I don't like that people like that show. It's like why, like, like that shouldn't that that your anger is inside of you, man. That's inside of you. It has nothing to do with this show. So that's kind right. of that's you know, it's very. Yeah, I, I, I feel like get confounded by people who who get angry about it. It's like there's no there's no reason calm calm down. There's no reason to get angry. You know, it's very weird. Well, and there are real-world issues that demand your actual anger. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Like, we live in a world where there is some shit going on that demands your passion and your anger. Like, if you're wasting all of that potential energy on a television show or a movie, like you might need to rethink the work you need to do on yourself. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. But I think also, this is, I think, a problem with, in a sense, a lot of these fields where it's like some of these folks, not all of them, okay? So I don't want to, <laughs> don't get mad at me, folks. But some people are just so focused on their thing that, like, that's all that matters to them. And it's really kind of, in this world we're living in now, that's, that, to me, is, more, is very off-putting, you know? I think, I think, like, best example would just sort of be, like, and again, I don't want, I don't want to talk about everybody, don't get mad, folks, I'm just sort of making a generalization, but people who are so obsessed with this UFO disclosure thing, and it's like, dude, they're not going <laughs> to... Like, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to be an asshole, but it's like I personally am not. I don't want them to disclose the secret of UFOs right now. We have enough going on. We don't need fucking aliens in this in this bullion base of chaos that is 2020. So, so and, and there are people who are just so obsessed that they don't. That that's all that matters. That's all that matters is whether or not this thing's ever going to be revealed to the world. And it's like, have you looked at the fucking world? Have you looked around? <laughs> like, why the? This is not. Again, it's not the time for aliens. But uh, that's my soapbox rant. But I think you kind of. I mean, what do you what do you think of that sort of tunnel vision that that is unfortunate? I think in some of these folks. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, this is not 
the time to drop a truth bomb that there's aliens, right? Like, this isn't the state of the world that you want it to be. This isn't the people that you want to be telling you. Like, first of all, like, I've never understood. I posted a tweet today, which was, in essence, I've, I've never understood people who say, like, we know that the government and government agencies and military and former and current military and government people, we know that they've been lying to us for 50 years. So they just need to tell us the truth. Why? Why in the fuck would you trust someone who's been lying to you for 50 years? Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's been one of my things on the show a long time. It's like, do the fucking work. Like, we should be able to figure this out. We don't need them to tell us. We should be able to figure it out. Just because we haven't been able to figure it out yet, I don't think it's time, you know. It's a very cheating, skip-to-the-back-of-the-book move. It's like, just figure it out. Just figure the fucking thing out. Fuck the government. We don't need them to tell us. We'll figure it out. So, you know, it's taken a while, but we'll get it. Sure. And if it's, you know, here's the other thing, too. Like, this idea that, well, you know, they're the government, they have the most money, they have the best technological equipment, they're the most well-equipped to be the ones who would find out if there are aliens. Anybody who has studied the UFO and alien phenomena knows that that's not fucking true because aliens and UFOs show up to normal people. Right. They show up in a field. They show up in someone's bedroom. Like, you don't need to have 55 years working for the military, and uh, you don't need to be an elected official for 70 years to be the fucking person who knows about aliens. Like, they have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Al- al- aliens and UFOs have been doing disclosure since they've been around. I'm sorry it's not happening the way you want, which is for the liars to admit they were lying and tell you the truth. That's outrageous you should be listening to the people who have been telling you the stories that they have been telling for millennia and trying to figure out where the truth is in those stories exactly exactly so i think yeah i I think people need to I guess sort of, yeah, sort of on my rant about tunnel vision. People need to kind of have a broader perspective of, like, what's going on here as far as as, – and I think you hit the nail on the head where it's like half the people don't trust the government anymore, so – or more than half. I mean, let's be honest, but who the fuck is going to believe – if the president came out tomorrow and said aliens were real, like he teased last night on being interviewed by his son there, that got all the UFO world aflutter, even though he seemed to confuse Roswell and Area 51. He um, was absolutely, absolutely Trump thought Roswell was Area 51. He doesn't know you. the difference thank between – he doesn't know the difference between the two. He was just riffing like he always does. He has no idea what's going on. I have argued for decades and talking to people outside the UFO community, people who are just uh, policy experts and policy wonks. I talk to them. The last person that you're going to give the seats of the universe to is the president of the United States, because at most that guy is going to be in a position of power for eight years. That's it. Right, right. So they don't like, tell him the fucking he really needed to know. And so far, yeah. they haven't needed to know. 
Right. And you know full well with any president, like you could march some military guy in. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, whether it's Trump or Obama or, you know, whoever, like they're not keeping up on current UFO trends. Like some random military <laughs> guy could, could, could walk into the Oval Office and show any of them, you know, the Trent photographs and say, like, these are UFOs. They are real. That's all you need to know, Mr. President. And the president would think, oh, fucking UFOs are real because that military guy told me. Like, presidents can be tricked by their, their staffers as well. They're not keeping up on fucking UFOs. They've got other things to do. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I also think, I also think people don't, reconsider, don't consider sort of like, okay, so what? They come out and tell us. So now what? Like, the aliens are going to, like, they're going to fucking come and live here? Like, we can't even right. get along with each other. How are we? Where are they going to live? What, what are they just going to start? Like, cause the people, I think a lot of they see sci-fi movies where it's like aliens and humans are interacting and living together. It's like, again, it's like we can't get along with each other. So now this is this is again not the world. We're not ready for aliens, man. We're not. We're not no, ready I, whatsoever for aliens. I don't mean to be too controversial and whatever, but I was having a private conversation. I won't mention the person's name, but. Uh, the conversation at one point I said, you know what, actually due to the amount of kind of conservative and even kind of quasi racist thought that permeates some of the weird supernatural communities, there's a lot of people who are going to be fucked up if extraterrestrials show up in their black. Yeah. Well, they will be, yeah. Well, not even, they won't even look anything like people but presumably I mean, they'll, be I mean, the if, they'll be the grays they'll be good grays even if they were the textbook grays like you know yeah, but what happens but honestly like there's the thought experiment there's, that's what I challenge people to like imagine imagine that aliens right. do land and imagine that they're humanoids and imagine that they're black are you not going to believe be... that are you going to believe what? that they're like what's what's going to be your mentality I'd be fine. <laughs> I don't know what these other, you know, I don't know. That's what I mean. It would be, That's what I mean. It would be crazy. You know, yeah, there's it would science, be absolutely there's science, crazy. There's a science fiction story. I can't remember which author wrote it. It's from the 1950s. But this giant UFO lands in Washington, and it's a short story. It, uh, it might even be Arthur C. Clarke. Um, but there's a short UFO story where a giant UFO lands in the middle of Washington, D.C., and the aliens get off. And they're the uh, ancestors of Native Americans, and they walk into the White House and they go, "Where are all our people?" Right, right. Well, like what you're saying with the aliens too, it's like goes to the idea of like how the how Jesus has slowly turned into a white guy. You know, it's like people can't <laughs> right. like if Jesus came back, what would happen? People would freak the fuck out. Though all the racist people would, you know, they'd be yeah, like, "No, sure. you can't be Jesus. You you don't look anything like Jesus." Like I right. am, dude. I don't know what to tell you. So it's yeah. So we're not ready for aliens, folks. Sit tight on that. I feel like if it was gonna happen, I feel like the best time for it to happen would have been like the late '90s, before like maybe like '96. I don't know why I have that feeling, but it was like things seemed a lot more peaceful back then. Not, the world certainly well, wasn't was... as good for people now I mean, for then as it is now for a lot of folks, but. There seemed to be the, the world seemed to be less volatile in general. Well, you know what's crazy is you know ninety six 
you're right at the kind of beginnings of the actual disclosure movement. Like that's right around the time that it started. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you started and that's the other thing too, like, I don't even know, you know, I was watching the conversation today because there were a bunch of UFO people saying like, let's not bring politics into UFOs. And it's like, but you're part of the disclosure movement, which is means you're looking for the government to say something like, in the 90s and early 2000s, there were groups like XPAC, which was a political action committee to get governments to talk about UFOs. Like, that's a part of the history, too. Like, right. disclosure is about politics. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, you can't the – you know, some of the people who say don't, you don't put politics into it, then the next thing they'll say at some point down the line is like, we need congressional hearings about UFOs. It's like, well, who the fuck do you think is going to preside over those hearings, dude? Like, that's why you've got to vote. (laughs) It might make you crazy. It's like, oh, so we're just (laughs) – yeah, it's nuts. Now, uh, I thought it was interesting. I think you said this earlier uh, and uh, came up in the book. I thought it was so refreshing and it kind of can, it's kind of within the realm of what we're talking about here, and that was uh, where is it? You were talking about conspiracy theorists, and you kind of made it sound like uh, originally you used to think that sort of the oddballs and the kooks were more the outliers, and the and you know the other people in conspiracy world were generally uh, thoughtful, inquisitive people who questions the status quo, if you will, and then you say. That uh, they say right there, I was wrong, and that you've watched the conspiracy world go crazy, which is exactly kind of how I've felt in the last, yeah, uh, you know, 15 years since uh, since the buzz wore off on 9/11. It got got, got really dark after that, and uh, it's gotten progressively more dark to the point now where conspiracy theories used to be a lot of fun, but there's nothing. I haven't seen a fun aside from flat Earth, which I love. I haven't seen a really fun conspiracy anymore. They're, they're few and far between. It's uh, Conspiracy thinking is very, very dark, and I don't know if you've noticed this. I've talked about this with our mutual friend Aaron Goulias uh, in the past. It's like the people, all the time I was coming up, it was like, we got to stop this new world order. we got to stop, stop the new world order. And now it's like somehow the, the conspiracy people have completely switched sides where it's like we need to make sure this, this – our. We need to make sure that our version of the New World Order prevails. And it's like, this is fucking scary now. It's getting, you know, it's getting militant and scary. That's a there long sort a of top. observation, but talk about the change that's no, happened no. in the conspiracy world. You're absolutely right. There was a period of time where there were a very small group of people who were nefarious and they were conspiracy theorists and they thought, you know, certain cabals of people ran the earth and that was the way it was. And that's only the way it was going to be. But the the bulk of people, at least that I was in touch with in the eighties and nineties, conspiracy theory was mental gymnastics. It was a way to train yourself to think more logically and more seriously to track down bullshit to see the flaws in arguments, it really was a way to strengthen your brain. And it was fun because it, it did. It allowed you to kind of rhapsodize with other people eloquently or ineloquently about the possibilities 
and you could see where things would fall apart. Like I remember the first time I had a conversation about Area 51. This is probably about 90, probably 90 or 91, where I was having a kind of deeper conversation with some conspiracy theorists at that time about Area 51. And one of the guys at the table said, so they've got a huge underground base there, right? And we all said, yep. And he said, how many people do you think work there? And the number was anywhere from like 500 to 5,000. We were all talking about how many people were probably in the giant base underneath Area 51. And this guy laughed and he said, who takes the trash out? Yeah, exactly. Like 5,000 yeah. people. Like, and so what, what conspiracy theory did was it challenged you to think, like, how, how many FEMA camps would Clinton have to build to put every conservative in a FEMA camp? Like, and then who guards those camps? And then who patrols those camps, who takes out their garbage, who feeds them, who takes care of them, who monitors them? And, you, you know, the theory would break down fairly quickly because you were using critical thinking. And then something happened, and I, probably right around 9-11, where conspiracy theory went from rhapsodizing and mental gymnastics to just accepting what certain conspiracy theorists said and not thinking at all beyond it. People were like, oh, this guy has it figured out. We're right back to where we started again with when someone tells you they've got it figured out, you're leading down a dark and dangerous road because now that person is going to say and do whatever they can to keep you on board. And at one time, conspiracy theorists were these individuals who, like I said, waxed eloquently or ineloquently about ideas. And what it turned into was 10 or 12 people have ideas. We're all going to believe in those single ideas and not think beyond them. And that has led us into horrific territory. Like you said, somewhere along the line, everyone was afraid of the new world order. And now, 15, 20 years later, people want their version of the new world order. Like, it's very strange. It's really disconcerting to me, and it's really actually troublesome to my my brain. Yeah. I read some quote somewhere some uh, recently. There was something, I'm going to butcher it, but it was something along the lines of, like, when the militias start carrying the flag of, of – uh, you know, the government or whatever, then it's like, then you should start to worry because then they've, co- they've co-opted the, the resistance, if you will. So right. it's like, that's kind of how I feel nowadays. It's like, no, we're supposed to be toppling the New World Order. What? But they believe it's really, have you looked at this QAnon stuff? I mean, I have, but I, I've, I've, the only reason I've looked at the QAnon stuff is because I used to have back in the late, 90s early 2000s I one of the jobs that I used to have was I was in advertising and so I used to work with some companies who did kind of proto pre larping and pre arguing so it was like they were doing advertising as augmented reality gaming or as live action role playing and yeah. as soon as I saw Q pop up I was like oh this is a LARP like someone has created a live action role playing game and people think it's real. Yeah, that's the 
that's kind of what I was sort of getting around to, where it's like I, I don't follow the ins and outs of the theory so much as have been watching this grow. It's really astounding to see, uh, because I said before, like, I, I have a certain uh, love for the Flat Earth because it's so goofy and it got so popular and everything. It's not as popular anymore, I think, because of this Q stuff. I think this is super, uh, usurped its spot. But the, the sheer... The sheer creepy popularity of it is unsettling. Like, because you don't see too many, like, conspiracy... You'd see the guy out, like Alex Jones, you'd see him out with, like, the bullhorn uh, <laughs> out, out in front of where they're having Bohemian Grove or whatever, or uh, Bilderberg Group or whatever. But it's like, now now they're, like, waving Q flags and and holding up a Q sign. They have merchandise and shit. It was like, this is not anything like I've ever... You know, you don't see people running around with a fucking moon hoax shirt on. So it's right. very it's a, it's a very militant, very militant conspiracy theory that is, is so fucking detached from reality that that's the other scary part. It's like, wow, you, this is... They believe in all kinds... Like, they think this, this Q character is... Is like a god. It's like a cult. He's like a godlike figure. It's like you don't even know what the fuck this thing is. Right. And what's really funny about Q and the reason that I thought it was a LARP is when I was dealing with the people who were creating augmented reality games and, and live action role playing games for advertising. One of the things that they discussed was we have to find a way to kind of buy, get people to buy our product, but we have to get them to think that they are coming up with the idea. Um, and so what happened was is they would create these advertising campaigns that were very open to interpretation. And so when people would figure out what they were doing, they'd be like, oh, this is my thing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, I, I figured it out. And Q is very much that way. Q is like, okay, here, I'm going to show you some numbers, and I'm not going to tell you what they mean. And then people search for the meaning in them. And when they find whatever the meaning is, and of course they're biased, so they find the, their own biases in their own meanings, they think that they're now a part of it because they've discovered the secret meaning, when in reality it was just some random fucking numbers that somebody posted somewhere. Yeah. It's pretty uh, but they have a sense, it's spooky. They have a sense of, yeah, but they have a sense of purpose now. They feel like they're on the inside. Everybody wants to be part of the cool kids club. Everybody wants to belong to the clique. Like, you know, I even said, I, I think I said this in, in the book when I was talking about flying saucers and disclosure. Like, I always try and think beyond my own thoughts. And whether it's, you know, or these, some of these conspiracy theories, like think 30 years beyond it. Think 50 years beyond it. Try and, try and hypothesize about that. I say about flying saucers, right? Like if an advanced extraterrestrial race is disclosed and they have technology that is akin to magic and they are 100,000 years older than us and they give us that technology and they are going to be our space brothers and sisters and we're going to traverse the galaxy together, are you really going to remember like – do you really think that the human race is still going to be in a mindset at that time where we stick our fingers in our ears and go, ha ha, I was right. You were wrong. We will have progressed and transcended beyond that. Yeah. So yeah. why well, are you very, there yeah. now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very, there's a really weird, 
I don't know. It's like the reverse of like sunk cost, or maybe it is sunk cost, where it's like they're part of the motivation for some folks in in these fields, especially UFOs. But I'm sure with Bigfoot, and maybe even ghosts. Although it's like I don't even know. We can kind of explore that in a minute, but it's like I don't even know how you'd like close the close the book on ghosts. Like you could like get one in a jar or some shit. But you know what I'm saying. But it's like, uh, <laughs> but people don't. Uh, I lost my train of thought now, but I'm trying to think of what you just said. Uh, when you, oh, oh, well, well go, ahead. Go, go ahead. No, you go, you go, you go. I was going to say, what you have to remember is whether it's ghosts or Bigfoot or aliens, like those are radical shifts to an entire planet's consciousness and understanding of themselves within the universe. Like, Ghosts, what happens after we die? Extraterrestrial life, we're not alone in the universe. Like, these transform humankind. Yes. For the that rest was, of yeah, history. Yeah, that was what set me off. Yeah. Exactly. For the rest of yeah. history, we're, we're not going to be these people that we currently see once we know the answers to these questions. And if you know that you're going to be transformed into something better, why don't you start today? That's sound advice. Yeah, with the the the, the uh, train of thought that I lost, pulled back into the station. Now the idea that like why, yeah, the the there's a there's an un I don't know unnecessary like need for some folks to like that, that, to be proven right about it, and it's like I don't really that shouldn't really be your motivation either. Just just to be just to be proven right because like you said. And, uh, you know, uh, this has come up in other conversations in the past, too, where it's like, okay, you're right. You're going to get, like, a fucking week to enjoy it, maybe, at best. Like, <laughs> and everyone's going to fucking move on. It's like, and that, that's the other part of it. I think I've always said this about the UFO field, and I guess in a way it's kind of the Bigfoot field, too. And, uh, you know, again, unless you can get a ghost in a jar, maybe it applies to the ghost field, too. But it's like, it's interesting that these movements their goal is there is to make themselves obsolete their right. their ultimate the end game is to, is to go out of business because once we know what what the deal is with UFOs like once they capture a bigfoot i don't know necessarily again maybe for a few weeks few months the people from finding bigfoot will be you know, they'll be celebrated and interviewed, and people will want to know what they think about it. And then it's going to be like, okay, here's Dr. So-and-so, and here's, you know, animal expert, Dr. this guy, and, and they'll they'll handle the Bigfoot from there. And for all the shit yeah. that these guys like, like Neil deGrasse Tyson give about UFOs and everything, and, and all the, and all the, oh, this is, I, I, all the UFO folks are like, oh, you're so wrong, this guy's so wrong, he's such a, He's such a jerk, and, you know, uh, and, like, I hate to tell you guys, but the heartbreaking truth is if they disclose the truth about UFOs tomorrow, Neil deGrasse Tyson is not going to be laughed out of the scientific community. He's going to be the first guy they fucking call, and they're not going to call people from UFO world. It's just, right. not, it's just not how it works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking to someone earlier this week having a conversation about the fact, because he was saying, like, will ghost stuff ever be, you know, a legitimate science? And I told him, I said, like, well, once something is figured out, 
whether it's ghosts or UFOs or Bigfoot, like if if we just put it under the paranormal umbrella, once something yeah. paranormal is understood, it's not paranormal anymore. So no. You know, the, the fields of psychiatry and psychology grew out of paranormal research. The Psychical Research Society in the 1800s who studied recovered memories and past trauma and how that affected the human condition, that, that was psychical research. It was studying the psyche. It was studying the mind. And as they started to figure out patterns and forms, even though psychiatry and psychology are soft sciences, that those things that got figured out were put into a new category. They were put in the category of psychology and psychiatry. And, they, and what's left is ghosts and ESP and that type of stuff. And when that stuff gets figured out, that will get moved into its own branch of science. But once it moves into its own branch of science, here's the other thing, too. This is why I talk about there being a need to be philosophical about this stuff. Once that stuff becomes science, once Bigfoot becomes science, once UFOs become science, once ghosts become science, if they ever do, then that means there's going to be rules to how you investigate it. And it's not yeah. going to be fun anymore. Right, right, exactly. Well, people, well, I, it, it would be interesting to see, like, let's say they capture a Bigfoot. I'm sure more people would go out and try and get a Bigfoot, but uh, eventually the, it would change the whole dynamic of it. It wouldn't, the, yeah. the, the mystique of these mysteries would, uh, would dissipate, I think, very fast, and then people wouldn't, they'd move on to something else, I guess, you know? Yeah, and, you know, someone someone was upset with me uh, a couple weeks ago because of something I wrote. But when you were talking about these fields trying to make themselves obsolete, uh, I, I, I don't know. If I, it's not in Theoretical Weirdo, but it's in something else that I wrote where I, I said, try and imagine a world, though, where everything is explained, where the stars have been counted, all of the atoms have been numbered, the secrets of life and death have been discovered. Extraterrestrial life is known. Every single thing to know is known. In that moment, when everything is known and written in books for all of human history, for all of eternity, what the fuck else is there to do? Who cares by that point? You live in a collective yawn for eternity because there's nothing else to think about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought I thought about that. I, I didn't come up with it in the same. Your your way makes sense, but yeah, where I thought about that, where it's like, well, what would happen if all this shit went away tomorrow? Like, what would you, what would you do? I remember one guy yeah. actually asked that a few a few people, and I asked uh, uh, a guy, a MUFON guy from New England, and uh, when I was <laughs> when I filmed this ill-fated idea for uh, for me doing anything on television, <laughs> um, but I. I asked Rich Dolan, Stan Freeman, and this MUFON guy from New England, and, and Rich Dolan and Stan, uh, you know, to their credit, they'd be like, well, I'd want to know when they, if we found out what it was, I'd want to know, like, how it applies to what I know and figure out where I was wrong, where I was right, and, you know, that kind of thing. And the other guy was just like, I'd probably go fishing. Yeah. That was it. I was <laughs> <Right>. like... <laughs> I think you'd see it break down like along those lines in a lot of ways. I think people would just be like, "All right, case closed. I'm out." You know, there's no. Well, point. here's, and the other thing is too. You go back to like disclosure movement, right? So, the disclosure movement is the government admitting that there's UFOs, right? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, aliens, so, really. I mean, I, it's, uh, I think in, in their heart of hearts, they really mean aliens. But the okay, so you know, the, they'll, split the hairs, they'll split hairs with you and go, I never said aliens. But it's like we all know you fucking okay. mean aliens. So the disclosure movement is the government admitting that aliens are real. That's the movement. That's, the, that's what they want. They want the government to admit that aliens are real. Okay, so your movement isn't that you want the government to tell you the truth. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's that you, it, right? It's you want the government yeah. to tell you aliens are real, whether or not they are. Because right, they have been it, telling you, it, they, they've been telling you they're not for 70 years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And if the government came, uh, if the truth was that the government doesn't know, they wouldn't fucking believe them anyway. So right. they're only gonna believe what they're only gonna believe what they want to hear. So Right. It, you know. It's a, And who the fuck wants to I mean honestly, like who the fuck wants to belong to that? Like you I just want I don't want to be in a relationship, any type of relationship, where the person just tells me what I want to hear over and over and over again. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, it's really important to these people. I don't understand it, but it's. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, want. We really want. Important. We want the government. We want the government to tell us what we know is already true. That that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. If you already know it's true, who the fuck cares if the government tells you? Based on everything I've seen the last like year or say in 2020. Like uh, again, I wouldn't. I would, just the logistics. The, again, the logistics of disclosure to me. No one, no one ever talks about that. It's like, so what? Yeah. Now what? Now we can. We can't leave here. So, so they're gonna. Are they gonna show us how to leave here, or are they just gonna come here? You know, no one ever talks about that shit. It's like they're gonna give us. They're gonna give us fantastic stuff. Well, where the fuck have they been the last three months? Because people are dying. Like, left and right. right. Where's all this fancy, secret, hidden alien insight? It's like, oh, they only gave us yeah. info on ships. They didn't tell us anything about medicine, turns out. We only yeah, have, we only have space, spaceship parts. Yeah, and don't forget, too, they've probably, uh, for some reason, these hyper-advanced extraterrestrials have revealed themselves only to certain countries. Are you asking me, or you're just sort of putting that out there in the ridiculousness of... Yeah, I'm just putting uh, it out there in the ridiculous world. They've picked certain countries and certain leaders and certain governments to reveal themselves to? Why? Why? Because we broke ourselves up into illusionary borders. They somehow follow (laughs) those illusionary borders, too? Yeah, exactly. Why would they... Yeah. Why, Why would they... Why would they even honor our any of our borders? That wouldn't make any sense to them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're just one planet altogether, probably in their minds. So Right. Yeah, we're uh, earthlings to them, right? Like we are earth yeah, creatures. Yeah. In this probably in like that's the other thing too. I mean, that's why, you know, something like Douglas Adams is so funny, right? Like we wake up one day and the dolphins are gone. Like maybe they don't want us. Maybe yeah, they're here for exactly. the ants. Maybe they're here for the cats. 
Exactly. We don't know what. Uh, yeah, we 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 don't know what any of that what what they want at all. So it's always yeah. That's the other. That I've I've often sort of mused on that where it's like maybe they just don't maybe maybe they just don't want to tell us because it's bad. So you can't put that genie back in the bottle. So you can, I, right. I don't necessarily. You know, we don't know. We don't know anything about these. That's again. Well, that's why I say we should just figure it out on our own. Just we'll just figure yeah. it out. You know, it's yeah. going to take time, we but we've only been trying for like time. fifty years. Right. It's going to take time, obviously. And by figuring it out on our own, that means that we're going to have to talk to each other. We're going to have to talk to a variety of different type of people with different ideas, with ideas that are contrary to our own. We're going to have to listen to people who don't look like us and sound like us. We're going to have to discuss with our larger family these ideas. That's amazing. That's the process of real disclosure, is getting to know your earthbound family, not waiting for someone to parrot back an idea that you already have. Yeah. Well, it's... uh... It's an interesting. We're winding down the thing now, so uh, yeah. I've enjoyed Uh-oh. this conversation what are we at quite now? a bit. How long did we go? A couple hours. You want to talk for a little while longer? No, well, I got to go and check on my parents. All right. You said that like for, for your. <laughs> you said for your like, like that, like you were you were shaming me into li- into leaving. So I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't shame me about leaving. I didn't realize <laughs> that uh, we had talked for so long, and we. I tend to just babble. I love it though. Uh, no, but for your listeners who don't know, I'm a full-time in-home caregiver for my parents. So uh, the, one of the last podcasts I did, this is actually really nice because one of the last podcasts I did, at the very end, uh, my father was screaming at me, and I told them to leave it in the podcast so people could get a real idea of what my life is like every day. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so folks can get The Theoretical Weirdo uh, on Amazon, right? Yeah, and uh, if they don't want to pay a giant, huge corporation, they can email me, John, at Weird Lectures, and then, you know, PayPal me direct, and I can just send them one. I I know a lot of people don't want to feed the corporate machines. Let me me ask you one more question, just sort of take it out on this one. But uh, what's the website for people to check out the, you know, what's your your hub? What's your website? Uh, Weirdlectures.com. I used to do a podcast called Realm of the Weird. Those are all still up. They're pretty enjoyable. That's realmoftheweird.com. And then all my social media is just John E. L. Tenney. Uh, So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's all just John E. L. Tenney. Or you can Google John Tenney Weirdo and follow it down all the rabbit holes. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, the one uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, that kind of just popped into my head, but I had thought about it before, and the little British lady will take us out, and uh, we'll just kind of dribble over the hour. It'll only keep you for like another five minutes. But uh, I want to thank Eaten by Bears, who showed up really late into the show and didn't say anything in the chat room. But I, I see you, Eaten by Bears. Uh, Jim Vujovic, Sasquara, and Zach Copley, who uh, had a lively conversation in the chat room tonight. And all the folks out there who uh, listened live here on BOA's Summer of Strangeness. Ah, Summer of Strangeness with John Tenney. Uh, now, uh, what I'm interested in, we, I do, I really do, I love this conversation, and I do love sort of smashing the fourth wall on the show. Um, so I, <laughs> talking to you tonight was just great, um, because uh, you, you exist outside the fourth wall like I do, so it's, it's been a fun conversation. Um, 
as someone who sort of watches the field, and I know you're very prolific, I guess how has this whole pandemic thing impacted you? Because I don't even do many events, and I've – like all of my travel plans for the year were completely canceled. I was going to go to like three or four places, uh, different events and shit, and none of that's happening. So I guess, uh, you know, what's your perspective on how – how this has impacted the community? Uh, I mean, it's impacted it strangely in the sense, I mean, I canceled all my events are canceled too, obviously. Uh, I try and do podcasts here and there just to keep up on stuff. I think that's what most people are doing. Uh, Personally, uh, I mean, this has really given me time. I really do think that people in this field need to be introspective and I think that this is a forced introspection I know that's uncomfortable for some people but I like has this has given me even more time to think about the things that I think about uh also you know I've been fairly busy the past four or five years and so my files have gone completely apeshit uh so I've been recategorizing, reclassifying, going through all of my old files from old cases, finding things that I forgot about, which has sparked new ideas. Um, And I think people should be doing that too. I mean, for all of the hindrances that come with the internet, like there's some good things too. We, We can communicate with each other now. People are starting to show who they actually are, which I think is a good thing. Uh, There's a lot of good discourse happening, both about the paranormal community and who human beings are as humans. And, uh, I mean, I think overall, you know, aside from the horrific deaths of everyone, uh, the pandemic has, I think, for me, uh, given me real larger, deeper insight into this seemingly strange world we live in. It's made me yeah, more kind kinda, for sure. It's made me more it's made me more kind and caring. Yeah, I I I feel you, man. It's uh yeah, it's been sort of a transformative if you if you and I I get like it, it has been incredibly tragic for you know, hundreds of thousands of people because for every person that's died is like they have family, man. So like people who are like, right. "Oh, it's only 100,000." It's like no, it's like a hundred thousand times ten. Each person has probably ten people that care about them. I hope. So, yeah. uh, you know, and aside from all the folks, you know, who are really struggling because of all this, it's like it's kind of the cliche where it's like, yo, learn a language. But it's like if you, you know, it's it, it was instructive. I think I tried to do it to sort of lean in a little bit to this and 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 let it transform you in a way because you're you're thrust into this situation as it is with the world like shutting down and, and experiencing all these feelings. So it's like kind of like that stop and smell the roses attitude and, and just, uh, you know, that's kind of how I tackled it all. We, we all as human beings, we all have work that we need to do on ourselves. And I think a lot of people for whatever reasons didn't have the opportunity. And I think that this pandemic has given people not only an opportunity, but a real motivation to do that deep work uh, to recognize how precious our lives are and our friends are. And, and uh, yeah, I I do. I think it's been transformative and will continue to be. I don't think we're out of it yet. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I even was like calling ex-girlfriends and old friends from college and shit that I hadn't talked to like in 10 years or something like that. Cause it was just like, you're sitting around, you're wondering, Oh, how are they, how are they doing? So yeah, it was a really interesting time. And you're right, and we're not out of it sense, 
we're not over yet. And the sense, you know, this is, I had, uh, last week I had a very good friend of mine die. Um, he had a stroke and an aneurysm and it's a horrible thing, you know, 43 years old and learning how to deal with the passing of a friend during all of this, you know, uh, it's already yeah. a horrible situation. And then you add all of this other stuff on top of it. It, it really, calls the universe calls to you to reflect on on what means something and it's not Absolutely. arguing on twitter <laughs> that's <laughs> that's for sure that's for sure yeah all right brother well i'll let you get going thank you very much i really do appreciate it uh for folks listening still uh the website is weirdlectures.com and the book is the theoretical weirdo john el tenny you can find him on twitter uh are there, are I love the conversation, man. Tim? They're not live listening, but they'll be listening later on MP3. Okay, uh, let me let me. Let, uh, my last thing I'll say is how I end my lectures. So this is my last quote: uh, For all, right. all of the time and energy and effort and money and thoughts that you expend trying to communicate and make contact and have an experience with strange denizens of some other realm, I implore people to spend at least half as much time and energy and effort and money trying to explore and communicate and have contact with the weird creatures that live around them every single day. All right. There you go. Words to live by, folks. All right. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Have a good night. Have a good one. There you have it, folks. That was John Tenney. Uh, I love that conversation. That was fantastic. That was uh, that was like a workout. Uh, I love a I love a good conversation like that on this show where uh, there's a good back and forth, and and we're sort of like uh, it's you know just like like sparring or something, but not in a not in the in an aggressive way. I don't know intellectually, uh, you know, bouncing ideas off each other. I really uh, really enjoyed that. Quite a bit. I love shows like that. So, John Tenney, the book, Theoretical Weirdo, uh, the website, weirdlectures.com. Next week on the program, it's going to be June 26th. Uh, We're going to be bringing back, I guess you can call him an old friend. He was on the show, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago almost now. Uh, He's the guy behind, I don't know, I'm going to mess it up. I think it's the goodbye man is the thing. But uh, Robert Schneck. Robert Schneck, who uh, always uh, makes me laugh on Facebook, and uh, I've been reading a lot of his stuff, and he's been working on some really wild stuff uh, involving autoerotic asphyxiation throughout history. So we're going to, he's the weird, he does weird history and uh, strange stuff like that. So we're going to get, we're going to find out what he's uncovered with regards to autoerotic asphyxiation throughout history. So that one, you're going to want to put the kids to bed before we do that episode, I think. Um, I'm, I'm interested in that because it's like weird, weird things today have a long history sometimes. So something like that, I'm interested in finding out. How long has this been going on? You know, Maybe he's dug up some case from, from England in the 1700s or something. Who knows? I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but we're going to talk about that, and I'm sure we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other uh, weird history stuff. He's a historian of the weird. That's his, that's his tag. Uh, you can find him on Facebook, Robert Schneck, S-C-H-N-E-C-K. Uh, as I said, he'll be on next Friday night, 
June 26th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Be there, be square. Until then, folks, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.